Guys, this is Succession. This is HBO. If you don't want to hear me talking about Logan Roy, talking about then don't listen to this. There are bad language words in this show. Hello and welcome to Clown Town. Welcome to the Clown Town episode. You have to say that on every episode going forward. Sorry. This is Slate Money Succession. I'm Felix Salmon of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck of Fundrise. Hello. And here, how happy are we, Emily? We are here with Tavi Brodessa Agner herself. Delightful. We are in Clown Town. <laughs> Welcome. It's, it's good to be here. Is this a nice safe space where I don't have to pretend to like Hamilton? Daffy is, is, is our favorite person and used to be a journalist and is now incredibly powerful and important and making TV shows on the streets of New York. Congratulations, Daffy. Your book is in production and it's being executive produced by you yeah. and written by you. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I tried to star in it. They weren't having it. There are uh, safeties in place to prevent that from happening. <laughs> Can can you do like an Alfred Hitchcock style cameo somewhere? I'm trying, man. But you like, should. Can, like you be one of the, can you be one of the supermodels doing like the supermodel? I will. Fight? I will be one of the supermodels yeah. in the supermodel fight club. Spoiler. So yeah, we are gonna be talking about episode six of Succession with the one and only Taffy Brodus Acne coming up after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about fascists on the telly. I love the fascists. Jared Minkin. That, so, like, Taffy is smiling here. She's like, oh, my God, Jared Minkin. He's kind of hot. It's that I like a new nickname for Hitler. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't believe I've traveled all these years and not, not just said H. <laughs> H is so I mean, good, I right? You know how many nicknames I have for Hitler. How and many never, nicknames do you have for Hitler? Plenty. And never once did I just think to say H. <sighs> Seriously, me, I just, I don't have a lot of boundaries. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Schumacher, I'll borrow from anyone. And, you know, if Franco or H or Travis Bickle had a good pitch, fuck it. I'm a man for all seasons. Mm-hmm. What a great fucking line. Yeah, there was a the whole thing, point. this is what I was thinking of as now a person in the biz- briefly in the business of making television is, do you know how hard it is to have a great line every three seconds? <laughs> it's, like, it's like the way 30 Rock had just so many jokes. The lines are insane. They do a good job with the lines. But it's also, I mean, this is obviously why I love Succession and Veep and shows of that ilk of which there are not many. But it's a highly mannered mode of television, right? Normal human beings do not speak like this. Like even Tom Wamsgans has these amazing one-liners that he drops like out of nowhere. Like 
if you're still on contraception, it's just like throwing so much cake batter at a brick wall. And you're, <laughs> I don't know how long it took someone in the writer's room to come up with that line, but it's definitely not a line that like Tom Wamsgans could come up with on the, you know, right. It's like the, the moment. heightened, these people can't say things like this. Is that a reason to maybe criticize the writing in that all the characters have these amazing one-liners. They kind of all sound the same. Or is that the style of succession where everyone talks in this certain, in this certain quick-witted way? That well, it's, it's like not everyone, right? Where everyone kind of has the same personality. Because yes. in, in real life, like, one person stammers and can't think of how to respond to that. And Except that I do think That's that if you take if you take the whole of Logan's lines, they're spoken as if they're wise, but they're so stupid. Like (laughs) the things he says, like the metaphors he conjures are only sometimes even understandable. And because of the way everybody understands them, it almost asks us to not be critical of them. But I'm critical. he he's like supposed to be the smartest, most powerful guy. So like anything he says is the smartest, bestest thing, even though what he says is nonsense, yeah. which is kind of a truth in, in the real world too, right? Right. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to prove that he's clever, right? He has nothing to prove to anyone, and so like the verbal jousting that everyone else in, indulges in is kind of beneath him, and he watches them all do it. And there's that like there's that wonderful like half smile on his face that we last saw at the end of season two when Kendall like did his big mic drop moment. And he does it again in this episode when Minkin does his like fuck APN Logan's a dinosaur speech. And like Logan's just like, yeah, these guys, they're all beneath me. And I get to just kind of smile as I watch them jostle for position. And I can, as Taffy says, say like really, kind of dumb things like there's that wonderful bit where he's basically telling shiv that the pivot that she wants is not going to happen right that what she wants is for atn to pivot from the republicans to the democrats and he just like randomly says like no we have to find a republican here because quote we could fall apart and hand it to the fuck fuck, fuck donkey fuck. gang <laughs> and you're like fuck fuck, donkey, fuck gang. donkey gang it's like it, it is like the least intelligent thing that anyone has said on succession but like yeah but it also makes sense right like yeah i actually this is actually i am going to say as someone who tries to write smart sentences that the thing you said before about the cake batter to the brick wall is actually something that I think came naturally in a first or second round of pitches for that line. <laughs> because I think these people are so tapped, the writers are so tapped into truth, like the truth of, of reality in a way that is mind-boggling to me and was most evident in this episode. By the way, Tom talked about eating the omelet. Like, yeah. When you have a bad omelet, <laughs> you start it like Afghanistan. Like, you start in the middle and you make inroads. To, like, there is a way of eating a terrible diner omelet where you start with the least disappointing part and you just start to make compromises. And to put that into words, it would take me about three kajillion words to express that. And he's just doing it. <laughs> 
So, according to Stephen, my prison consultant, this is, you know, this is kind of what the food is like inside. I'm in training. How's your omelet? That's not, yeah, I'm making some inroads. I'm like, actually glad you called, Tom. It's like Afghanistan. You have to start in the center there. You establish a base of operations, then you have to kind of move out okay. to secure more territory. Yeah. I thought this was like the Tom's Diner episode because there's two pivotal scenes. They'd both take place in the diners. The Kendall Diner is kind of nice. The Greg Diner is like a nightmare place, though I thought it all looked delicious. I mean, the camel's labia. Omelet. <laughs> <laughs> in the diner talking talking to Kendall, he has this amazing line where he goes, I have of late decided not to tarry too much with hope. Which is, number one, a wonderful line. Number two, it's like, this is our first hint that, like, Tom is actually familiar with Shakespeare. You know, it's it's an obvious echo of, of Hamlet basically saying the same thing at much greater length. I love Tom in this episode. He was so, there was so much depth and sadness in his eyes. And, like, he and Greg continue to have their little psychos sexual, deep, romantic relationship. And and it went so deep in this one. And I don't really understand, and maybe you can unpack it for me, but like Greg asked Tom to what? Take the bullet for him here? Like yeah. take on his wrongdoing? Like just Which, like, it's not, uh, what I did wasn't so, you're definitely going down. Would you mind just assuming my debt? It's not that much more than you have. And maybe it won't accrue to anything. It, it was a lovely moment. And um, and I thought given how, so initially, if I have this right, Tom like basically forced Greg to like burn those documents and stuff. So, I mean, it kind of is his fault that, that Greg is in this position anyway. So it made sense to me that he would take on, take responsibility, but that never happens in succession. But, but also, but also in like, it's not entirely clear what Greg is asking, but if what Greg is asking is just like, can you say that you directed me to do this and none of this was my idea and I just was doing what I was told and I'm just cousin Greg and I'm not actually an evil corporate cover-up mastermind type person and I didn't even know what was in those pieces of paper. Um, Tom's like, yeah, of course I can say that because the whole reason I'm going to jail is is to take the fall for everything and that's actually true. I I don't think that this is quite as big of an ask as um as as you might think because like he's probably going to have to do that anyway right i don't think it's that big an ask i think it was just a formality and an opportunity to show us this whole thing that's going on with tom that went on with tom off screen which is that he accepted that he's going to jail and he instead of fighting it the way everyone else around him is fighting things he recognizes who he is in this story and he has decided not to tarry too much with hope. Like he, he's just he has a prison advisor. He's he's like alternating between um, trying to like it reminds me of right before Yom Kippur when you stop drinking coffee so that on the morning when you can't have coffee you don't get too big a headache. Like he's trying to adjust for what he's going to be eating, which is why he keeps going to diners, right? He's like, this This diner food might be as good as it gets for me, which is a very funny comment on, on the rest of us. And he doesn't have any 
he doesn't have any hope. And that's how he's behaving. And he's also this, like, he went from, like, Shakespeare-wise, from being the clown, welcome to clown town, where everyone's a clown. But he went from being the clown to being, the, to being like, the real court jester who really says things that are true. And the most poignant thing he says is to Kendall, which is, Logan never gets fucked, and you keep getting fucked. That was beautiful. So much truth is spoken to Kendall in this episode. It was a lot of fun. Tom says his thing to Kendall, you always get fucked. And Lisa says her thing to Kendall, which is essentially you're a buffoon. Maybe Felix wrote it down, but she kind of like dresses him down after um, his deposition in a way that is so humiliating to him, he has to fire her. So he fires her, not she. Yeah, right. I think so. Apparently, she's a toxic person. She's She's a toxic person. (laughs) Also, Sana Latham always looks so worried that I. That's not the confidence I need in my lawyer, in my criminal defense, my white collar criminal defense lawyer. It was weird how she was telling him like the case was weakening, and then she's like, "So get a good night's sleep," and it was like, "That's not." the pump up you need the night before the deposition, right? She sort of says... She I kind think she of, was appalled by how he behaved. I think that thing he did in the hallway was so extra that she just was trying to keep it together. And she was really nice about it. We do not want this to get politicized. Well, everything is politics, so... Kendall, do you think you're smarter than me? What? Do I... What? No. No. Because maybe you are, but I am a better lawyer. You acted high-handed and defensive and then oscillated to wildly over-familiar and glib. You sometimes undermined my status and didn't appear to be frank about your own involvement. But let's take stock, okay? Can we talk about Clown Town? Yeah, we have to. I mean, that was amazing. <laughs> Accusing him of being a vegetarian. like It was like every... Every greatest hits. You know what I love about Succession? It's the show, like shows are in various form out of touch with the world, right? Like they don't really echo the thing that like the three of us say, see on Twitter, like the the sort of closeness to the moment. This does. Like this, accusing a guy of being a vegetarian. Um He's a secret vegetarian. He's a secret vegetarian. I hear he's a vegetarian. Connor having some intellectual heft with Cousin Larry from from Perfect Strangers, who was last seen at that dinner, right? Like that. Maximilian Pierce. Yes. Pierce. Yeah. They became close, apparently. Like that, like, like two of them have like close Pierce connections now in this strange way. When they're supposed to be these like enemy families, yeah, they made allies. That was a that was a good dinner after all. Like it's shocking to me that Logan is okay with either of them being in bed with Pierce's, right? I think Logan is looking at Clown Town and just saying, number one, this is Clown Town, but number two, I'm going to make the final decision. So I don't care what kind of weird dances you all do before I make the final decision. Which, by the way, I think is sort of factually false in the show that prides itself on being, you know, very true to life. I don't think that with a possible exception of maybe one or two races over history in Australia, certainly not in the United States, would 
Rupert Murdoch placed his thumb on the primary scale so heavily in favor of one candidate. And even if he did, he would not do it in an overt way where like he'd have a family photo at the end and there would be like Rupert and Lachlan and Roger Ailes and whoever the like Fox supported nominee was, right? The the thing about Fox and Murdoch in general is he always like there's this thin veneer of pretending that they're just objective journalists and reporting. They're not going to just come out and say, we support this candidate and you Fox News viewers, because you're sheeple, will just vote for whoever we tell you to vote for. Like, even if you think that, you never say it. But this plot was weird in that it seems the raisin has dropped out of the presidential race after the primaries mostly have taken right. it's, place. It's, six, it's after the primaries, but six months before the election. So I'm saying it's going to be There's in already like, a candidate, it seems like. I want to say it's like May. Yeah, and the Republicans don't have an actual candidate, which is weird. Because, and because like, the I, raisin is like, fuck it, you know, I, I was the presumptive candidate and everyone was going to vote for me because I'm the incumbent. And then and then he's like, no, I'm not running for re-election, which is, which it, it kind of reinforces how big of a deal that phone call was with Roman, right? Because, like, when was the last time an incumbent president didn't run for re-election? I was thinking Lyndon Johnson. You have to go back that far in our, in U.S. history. Because I was like, is this realistic in any way? I mean, it's not, right? I mean, it's not, it's not supposed to be that realistic. <laughs> it is a TV show. In any case, ex-hypothesi... There's going to be this like nominating convention and there's going to be votes and stuff. But realistically, the idea is that the party will have coalesced around one candidate. And this clown town is the time at which we all in the Republican Party basically decide which candidate we're going to coalesce around. The vice president licks his lips too much and therefore he can't be president. Like, you're like is Martin Van you know, Boring? I mean, here's my question. Is Connor actually torpedoed by Cousin Greg? No, Connor was all, never stood a chance. I don't know. I feel like Logan was considering there. He's smart enough. Emily, we're not young enough to believe this anymore. I you know, but he, he did seem to be considering it. And like compared to the Nazi guy, Mencken, I was like, well, maybe it makes sense. Why not? I like, don't think. At least he's not a Nazi. Yeah, at least I he's mean, not that has to count for something, that seem right? Like a deal breaker to people. That seems like just a point of view now to be a Nazi. It's like, I'm a Nazi. Yeah, it's an attractive quality to Roman, who seems just like absolutely turned on by the Nazi. No, he has a business idea. He has actually a good business idea. <laughs> so, so we know that Roman is sexually turned on by humiliation, right? And by power in that sense, or like by being on the receiving end of power. And and so they basically have sex in the bathroom, and he gets. Wait, was it basically, or like they didn't? Right. <laughs> I was I mean, wondering. There's a tiny little we bit of strategic into. ambiguity. There's a lot of like hand lotion going on in that there's scene. Hand lotion. They're sitting like they're sitting on the toilet. Like there's a. It's in a bathroom. There was something really strange about that choice for them to meet in the bathroom. Before, like, quick, let's meet in the. We're in a suite. Come talk to me in the bathroom for a few minutes before I introduce so you. So the last there. time that Roman had sex on this show, it was, it was through a bathroom door with Jerry, and he was also in a bathroom, right? Maybe Roman just has like a bathroom thing going on. Maybe he has a bathroom thing. What I really picked up on in this was that, 
you know, the vice president is doing his best to suck up to Logan because he thinks that's what Logan wants. And on some level, Logan thinks that that's what Logan wants. Connor, of course, is trying to suck up to Logan. Um, Salgado is trying to do like the bank shot and suck up to Shiv, which yeah, is never going good, to work. An interesting play. I'll put your father <laughs> in jail. And she's like, okay. she laughed as though that was the most ridiculous thing and then immediately became like the huge salgado van in the room and of course roman like accuses her of just liking salgado because he's black even though he's like completely white but he's like hispanic (laughs) and then the one guy who refuses to suck up to logan at all is minkin right and like minkin unlike all of the other one really understands the dynamic which is that Logan is Rupert, right? And what Rupert does is he backs winners. Like, this is why he can jump from Maggie Thatcher to Tony Blair, right? This is why he can... Like, if he sees the mood of a nation, if he sees a politician who has charisma and who can bring the country behind him, then he knows the way to get ratings is to just, like, put the full force of ATN behind that politician, whoever that politician is, and whether or not that politician, in return, is nice to ATN. And for all that he would love the deputy attorney general to drop the case against him, you know, what he really wants is to have a popular TV channel, and that means supporting a popular candidate, and that means supporting the fascist. And that's what happened with Rupert and Trump. I mean, Rupert Murdoch did not think Trump was a smart fellow. Um, he knew what he was. He didn't want him, I don't think, initially to be president. And But then he saw the ratings, and that was that. I also want to talk about Shiv's kind of just failure to convince her, anyone in the room that Mencken was a Nazi. Like, first... <laughs> First, that argument's going to fail with all of these people because they they don't actually care about anything like that. Appeals to patriotism, et cetera. Second, like, her argument was so unconvincing. Like, here is a guy that is a total, like, racist, fascist, white nationalist, whatever, and she cannot muster the right language to make that case clear. She says stuff like, everybody hates him. Because she knows that being a racist is not like is not a compelling argument for... It's like trying to talk to a Trump supporter and say, like, but he's so racist. And they're like, like oh, yeah. great. But this is the point, right? If you, like, if you are trying to persuade Roman not to support Minkin, right, what is the argument you're going to use, right? Because, like, there's nothing you can say that is worse than what, than what Minkin has already said to Roman in the bathroom about, like, you know, we basically have to disenfranchise all of the brown people. You know, if you go up to Roman and say, well, he's incredibly racist and he wants to destroy democracy and he loves Adolf Hitler and, you know, these things, like Roman's going to be, yeah, and what's your argument against him? Right, right. So the the actual truth of of the reason this guy can't be president is utterly not compelling. But Shiv doesn't have a better, I was just so, I was disappointed in Siobhan. I was. Well, I mean, Siobhan's, Siobhan's dream would definitely have been to make the case that the clown show was such a clown show that the Democrats are going to win because they have a great candidate. And so what we need to do is pivot 
and support the Democrats instead. And she kind of makes a half-hearted attempt to do that, but it rapidly becomes obvious that Logan is not even going to entertain that possibility. But also Shiv is a character who tries to rebel ineffectively all the time. Like when we met her in season one, she's a political consultant for the other side. And it takes nothing to bring her over. It's like very clear that her rebellion is only for attention, which is why when she says she doesn't want to get in that picture, she gets her father's attention and then she's in the picture because she can't really do the thing. She's, she's, she's just stamping her foot. I thought it was more like she's just slowly selling out. I I just got a sense that she has some kind of principle at her core, a little one, a little smidge, a crumb, and that she will sell it out every time for her father, like convincing that woman who was accusing the company of covering up her sexual assault or whatever, um, just selling out her womaniness for that. She's coming in she's speaking she's the face of that whole scandal she doesn't care she sells out for that she tries to stand up against nazis and she can't even do that it's so pathetic if i'm if i'm logan and i i respect people who take a stand or at least have a something at their core right like um to be a killer that's not how a killer acts like standing at the side of the picture it's so pathetic it's like either be fully in it or be fully out and she's neither. I just also think it's hard to, con- like, I think the real thing is that the reasons you should not elect Mencken are not about, about, like, there's no way to convince them that it's like when Democrats and Republicans get together and Democrats are like, but it's not right. And the, and the Republicans are no, we weren't asking that. We weren't asking. This is not about if it's right. This is about if we, uh, this is about if my money or this is about, and they're, those are two fundamentally different approaches to politics. And so how are you going to convince anybody that if the job is to be the Republican candidate, we should be worried about, about, about the kinds of things that the Republican Party has not recently demonstrated caring about, right? In terms of the sort of the drama of the show, I have to say I really loved the hotel suite when Tom meets Kendall and is like, you know, right now Logan's picking the next resident. And he's picking the next resident in like, you know, the grand presidential suite in the hotel, which is obviously the nicest, grandest place in the hotel, grander than the random supplicant the vice president of the united states gets you know that's that's like logan in full on most powerful person in the world mode he has completely come back from that like crappy hotel in sarajevo where he was at the beginning of the season yes with the bad salad (laughs) the sad salad exactly and he's got you know and he, he's told all of the, the presidential candidates, like, come bring me a Coca-Cola. He's doing all of his like dumb pouring water on his power feet. plays. Yeah. yeah. They all have to come to him. It's really amazing. This episode of Slate Money is brought to you by Wondery, which is a podcast company. And it makes a podcast called The Best One Yet. And it is a daily podcast hosted by Nick and Jack, who serve up three of the most interesting business news stories every day and why you need to know them in just 20 minutes. 
Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that saved Abercrombie or which real tech acquisitions like Game of Thrones or the one financial equation that can finally solve climate change? That's the kind of stuff you find on The Best One Yet. So be in the know this year by starting your morning with The Best One Yet every weekday. Follow The Best One Yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. And for more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts with shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more. Wondery means business. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. We need to talk about Carrie. Because this is the season, this is the episode where Kerry, like, I remember earlier on in the season where, um, where Logan hands his cell phone over to Kerry while the, while the raisin is like shouting at him. He's like, you want to hear what it sounds like when the president is angry? Like, he obviously has this connection with her. At this point, like, we've seen, we haven't seen Marsha in like three episodes. Kerry is by his side the whole time and gets like way more lines than she has in the past. And there's all of that like back and forth with, between Roman and Shiv about like what she may or may not be doing for Roman. So, like, yeah, what's up with Kerry? She's sleeping with Logan. That's she's what's up. She's sleeping with Logan. Like, she's she seems like him. she's like the public, she was like the insulin provider or whatever in the last in the episode where they go to see Adrian Brody. But she seemed like to be some kind of medical assistant or assistant at first, right? And now she's come to full-on girlfriend, like a slow, it's the same thing as what happened with Rhea, right? Like, these are the things he does. And Marsha has this limit of public specter that she won't abide. And probably every time this happens, she just makes, I mean, that an episode, two, three episodes ago, that deal making that she did, like covering her child from another marriage or whatever, like taking care of everybody. She knows what kind of business arrangement. I mean, she struck at exactly the right time because if she tried that, you know, six days later, he'd have been like, fuck off. Right. I mean, she, there, there was this very, very brief window of opportunity where he needed her. And she was like, OK, in that case, I'm going to get my half a billion dollars, whatever it is. Um, I do want to talk about the one thing that really took me out of this episode in terms of the sort of realism that the show um, that the show affects, which is an online like an evite to their mother's wedding. It was like a save the had- date. Someone has a fancy like that's the, that's the save the date I used for my son's bar mitzvah. <laughs> I thought I about that money. too. <laughs> like I, that woman lives in a castle. It was just a save Why the date. Why is she using e- like the e <laughs> for the bar mitzvahs this year? So okay, can one of you guys explain to me what's happening here? Because I mean, obviously, um, we know that there's going to be this. Um, ridiculously over-the-top wedding thing in Tuscany and everyone is going to be there. But 
Roman, Shiv, Kendall, Logan, none of them knew about it. And they were all passing around this, like, save the date, which was just forwarded to Roman by, like, some random guy. He was not invited. So are they invited or not? Well, it sounds like Roman then called. Yeah. Roman called his mom and was like, you're getting married? And then relays that information to Logan as, like, a chit or something. It seems like Logan is excited to know about it and wants to go and also calls the guy a, sn- a seat sniffer. A seat sniffer. He's seat Logan sniffer. is the only guy who knows who Peter Onion is. And I love everyone calling him Peter Onion. And he runs like, he runs a, ch- a chain of care homes in the UK, which is, which is just such Wait, a Peter wonderful, Onion's real? wonderful touch. Well, no, he's not, but there's that little... Um, She's looking a real person from reality. There's that little <laughs> scene on the television where like, well, no, where they're Googling him mm-hmm. and his picture comes up and then the picture, like the caption of the picture is like, Peter Moneyan, CEO of Lavender Park Care Homes. You what, know? What's the comp for that? Tell like, us about are, this, Felix. Who is what that? Is your, like, who is that? What does it mean? So that is kind of, so do you remember when um, Prince... William married Pippa Middleton. Yes, yeah. I do. And, <laughs> and, and the Middletons were quite rich, but very kind of nouveau and kind of lower middle class and sort of social climby. And because they made their money in trade or whatever, like party balloons this or is, something. Party balloons or something, exactly. So, like, care homes is like party balloons. It's like, uh, it's not the way that, like... It's not a good way to have gotten your money. It's not a good way to have gotten your money, exactly. So, he has, like, managed to scrabble his way from his care home fortune into, like, the inner circle um, after sniffing around Caroline's seat for the past 40 years. He's finally persuaded her to marry him and oh is that what that means yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) like her her noble could you could you i think it's gross i don't want to say it i want to say that i I thought it was was grosser yeah i think it's sexual and i think it's grosser i think there's a scene from the corrections that sums it up pretty well i think you're i think that uh, off off michael Explain what uh, no, 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 yes. no, Taffy. You are you are the queen of all things like sexually explicit. Thank what? you. She is. So, oh, I guess you are. You are. I guess. I mean, I guess I am. That's uh, true. So, no Taffy, one, come no on. one can see that I'm not dressed right now. But you guys, tell us. So. Tell us about this Jonathan Franzen scene that explains the seat sniffer. <clears throat> there's a there's a scene in the corrections where Chip, who is sad and and distraught from this relationship he had with a student. Um, he's been fired. He hates the student, but he's also desperately horny and keeps sniffing around places where they had sex so that he could he could smell her her scent. He could try to pick up parts of her scent and summon her in a viscer in a more visceral sensory way. Seat sniffer. I think that's what it is. It's a dirty show. You always have to go show. to the dirtiest definition, unless you unless. You know that seat sniffer is another thing. It's not. So I can tell you, you know, as someone who lived in Scotland for four years, it's not like some standard phrase that people use in Scotland that, that you know, Logan remembers from his Dundee childhood. 
<laughs> I think he's making it up. He's like, I think it's, I think everything he says, he just made up now. And that's the thing I love about him, that he's like, people I know who get really angry and just, and just the most articulate string of curse words put together as a compound word. It's pretty, like, it's kind of beautiful when you see it in real life, that the brain can do that. Speaking of made up things, did you catch how they just made up that thing about the the deputy AG having a picture of Logan on on her bulletin board in her office on the dartboard? I love that. And they kept pushing that rumor? And that's where Kerry got a line. And that's where Kerry comes in and says, like, well, it doesn't really matter if it's true or not, right? It's, it's, It's got, like, truthiness. It's Is that re- how that it works, y'all? Amazing. Are people I mean, doing didn't this? Ke- Is didn't, that Trump's didn't thing Ke- also? Didn't Kellyanne Conway come out and like admit that that was what... Like, Kellyanne Conway's whole thing was all like, we're just going to come out with our alternative facts. Yeah. You just say it a few times. Like, wasn't that a whole Trump thing? That, like, if you say it a few times, it inspires confidence. Like, enough people hear it and they repeat it. And then what's the difference between that and a fact? Um, can we talk about... The wine? Yeah, oh, no, we the should. German wine. The okay, Germanic. So. Ve- it's not vegetal. It's not sugary. <laughs> it's not floral. It's, it's agricultural. <laughs> <laughs> the wine is, is so, okay, so much to unpack here. Like, obviously, having your own vineyard is definitely like a rich people thing. Rupert Murdoch famously has his own vineyard inside the city limits of Los Angeles. I think it's the only vineyard inside LA. It's called Miraga. He makes um, a big Cabernet, which I've actually drunk and is, I'm not really a big Cabernet kind of person, but it's an excellent wine. It's a genuinely really good wine. So having, having your own. You have um, to name if there's a sponsorship on this show. (laughs) (laughs) He does the wine club. Felix does. This show, right? yeah, this, yeah, Slate, Slate Money Succession is sponsored by <laughs> Rupert Murdoch's Moraga Winery. It's really hard to find, actually. He, it's very, very low quantities. <laughs> um, remember when um, Brangelina had that Chateau Miraval Rosé? And then, like, John Bon Jovi has, has like, Hampton's Water Rosé? Mm-hmm. I knew about John Bon Jovi's Rosé. I did. Yes. But of course, Tom and Shiv wind up with like a vegetal German Pinot Noir screw top, which which is a little bit like Roman buying the wrong football team for his dad. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> I was laughing so hard at his, the interesting thing in his hopelessness is that he vacillates between I should just have this omelet and I'm just... I'm going to I'm going to have a good glass of wine tonight and he like tries opening a couple of them because and he can't get it and it that felt so real to me this like and, and I deserve is, a glass of wine I deserve a good glass of wine it's clear what kind of wine Tom likes you know he likes that like beautiful high end chablis that's straight out the fridge and instead what he's getting is like 
a trendy biodynamic German Pinot with you know, full of like what they call barnyard, which is like a term of approbation, weirdly enough, in bits Emily, of the wine world. Emily, can I just, I just want the listener to know that Emily and I, our faces are appalled at how much you know about this. Tell us more. I love it. Wait, Felix, biodynamic? We did is not a- come with this information. <laughs> Biodynamic is an actual way people describe wine, Felix. You're no, saying it's like a it's like a it's like an auspices of wine, right? It's like it's how it was raised. Yeah, exactly. It's it's how you it's raised, raised. Do you raise wine? It's it's basically one notch above organic. So organic wine, like you can't use fertilizers and blah blah blah. Biodynamic, you basically have to like bury ram's horns in the corner of the field and only harvest the grapes at a certain phase of the moon. And the whole thing is completely batshit. But certain people, like for all that it's objectively batshit, really do prefer those wines. And I kind of like them myself, I have to admit. Like, if you gave me Tom's wine and we it was get, all wrapped get, up. Don't worry, we got that. It was, if it was all wrapped up in a piece of paper, like this combination, by the way, of like having a case of wine sent to you and each bottle is individually wrapped in like tissue paper and then you unwrap it and it's a screw top is <laughs> is very biodynamic. Like only a biodynamic wine. Really? And probably, and probably the... um you know, the price point on this is, like, crazy high. These are probably, like, $90 a bottle of wine. Get out but, of like, here! For the funky Germanic wine? For the funky like, Germanic wine. how did you wine. learn this? <laughs> I'm just curious. You know Felix is all about wine, right? You know that. I, I, na- I now know that Felix is all about wine. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that Tom, by the way, is the only person that I ever see enjoying the the things that come with the wealth. And that is in very like poignant to me that like the people who are born into it are like, can't enjoy it in a way that he at just the next rung absolutely can. And that's what makes his, him going to prison so much more heartbreaking that it feels like, you know, a Midwestern guy being punished for the sin of, of, avarice and participating in this kind of wealth like a, a very, it feels very christian to me the storyline and then he just wants like a glass of wine and you never see any of them caring about the wine like shiv doesn't even have a point of view she like wrinkles her nose and goes back to her ipad so you want to try mm-hmm. it's the spetburgunder our vineyard Oh, screw top. Oh. Black and brown avatars to smear. Do you hear Boyer's losing juice now? Uh huh. So it's biodynamic. Has quite a funk to it. You kind of have to meet it halfway, right? It's. You know, it's. earthy. Yeah. Kind of Germanic. Yeah, there's lots to unpack. It's it's not it's not floral. It's not sugary or vegetal. It's 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 quite agricultural. You know, it's 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 uh. It's not very nice, is it? The wine, Chef. It's true. We see this a lot. This so 
Now, if Boyer flames out, then maybe it's time to... It might be time to pivot party. So my prison On the subject of, of enjoying luxuries, Logan flies with Greg, interestingly, um, on his private jet to Clowntown. He obviously has not given up his jet as per Sandy's demand. Ah. Yes, good. Very good. They still have the PJ. Did not even, did not even notice that because I was too busy with lines like Tampa Bay Cuccaneers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're a cheap date taffy i really i mean that hamilton line i cannot get over because i have been treated to a like a lot of sort of whisperings of it like is is hamilton making fun of us (laughs) the kind of strange thing that hamilton does which is make fun of the people who had access to it it's a signifier you mean yeah that like Hamilton is this signifier of of a liberalism. I can't. I don't even have a sentence for it. It's like a signifier of the of liberalism that maybe treats its audience as people who need to be educated about it, as opposed to the thing we think that we're watching, which is this that we are all participating in a celebration of it. It's a it's a point of view question that I that I I have heard. This is not my the thing I'm saying. I was, I'm always just dumb enough to enjoy things. <laughs> That's why I can't write criticism because I like. But it everything. is this. It is this. Like this. It has become this kind of liberal icon. But yeah. So unpack the the exchange between Greg and Tom about Hamilton. Um, some guy with an undercut just called me soy boy. Oh, don't worry, Greg. It's a nice safe space where you don't have to pretend to like Hamilton. I like Hamilton. Sure you do. We all do. I mean, I loved it. Greg and Tom are a love story of all time. Like They, they really are. They are the best couple on that show. But also, what's going on with Greg? So he com- the way the Hamilton conversation starts is he goes up to him and says, some guy with an undercut just called me soy boy. <laughs> I understood none of that. Can you, can someone, can someone who understands biotine, Matt McWine, explain that to me? I think I understand it as an insult from the Nazi white nationalist youth towards the, the, the anti-fascists or the liberals. Those are the soy boys. Like when I was at HuffPost, you know, all the men there are soy boys, right? They're like these, like. Why? Because there's, because on 4chan or whatever, it's, it's like, there's this whole thing about milk. (laughs) <laughs> which I do not understand. Uh, and like soy is like the fake milk. It's like the vegetarian milk. So, oh, like a, it says, look, I'm quoting Urban Dictionary on Google. So very accurate, very well-reported yeah, information. Okay, but you. I think this is right. <laughs> it's a self-described feminist leftist who majored in social justice studies or gender studies. Greg has like this weird unrequited crush on like Kendall's PR person. And is the only reason why he bought a $40,000 watch was to try and impress her. And she was completely not impressed. And she was de- like totally de-impressed when it turned out he wasn't paying. Like, yeah, it was, that was such a painful scene to see Kendall urge that along and then him get stuck with. Although it's unclear to me how much, how Greg is being compensated now. I think I think Greg's salary has been rising steadily over the course of 
the three seasons. And he's now, especially now that he's done this deal with Logan to become like number two at some theme park in Vermont or wherever he wind up wanting to go. Like, I think he's now making like a good middle class salary. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. But what I'm curious about with Greg is so he, he, he approaches Tom and says he was called a soy boy, which is an insult. By the end of the episode, he is hoisted aloft on the shoulders of the white nationalist boys and they're chanting his name. So what Greg, has occurred? Greg, Greg what, what has happened? happened? Yeah. I, what just happened? We don't know. We don't know, well, but we can. It, I think it doesn't matter what happened except that Greg is no longer obsessed with prison and Tom gets to see that. What he sacrificed was someone who, like, he's so lonely in this episode. He's trying to tell Shiv, and she's so cruel about it. She just doesn't want to hear it anymore. And at least he had Greg. Like, that scene in the middle of the night where he calls him and Greg's awake and listening, like, and they talk, like, I don't know, is something really beautiful in a way. And then he lost it. I did have this brief flash that like the Greg story arc could wind up being like the Jonah story arc in Veep, you know, and then he winds up like becoming this like bizarrely successful. I think that the sh- it is, I think it's Greg's show. Like I think about like the the place that Greg occupies in the history of shows is the the new guy who comes in. And that's how we're introduced into the world. Like in screenwriting, that's what it is. It's like this person. You literally see him in in like episode one in the, in the costume in this theme park, throwing up in the head of the costume. And like, and that's, it's there's the Greg is the only character who really develops. Uh, This is my belief. My belief is that in this show about four children who are fighting for leadership in their father's company, it will be Greg in season 12 when we're, when we're all done, (laughs) it'll be, it'll be Greg. Like we're supposed to think that Connor is the unlikely clown or that, or that Roman is the unlikely clown who will get it. We're supposed to think it's a fight between Kendall and Shiv. Like it really is a show that for three seasons, I mean, the one thing I find hard about the show is that we have been tracking the same storyline for three seasons. The thing that started in the pilot was that he, he seems unwell and now it's a rush. They think he's gonna, he's named a successor. And that's what the show is about. The show is about this constant thing in different manifestations. And so you have to constantly be asking yourself, where does that stand? And also is that like, Will that ever get resolved? I don't think so. I think it gets the end of the show is when it gets resolved. The question is, is I'm very entertained is like, really, how can you keep it up? How can, because I'm starting to think less of the children for falling for it 
I think is the problem I'm having that like, that I, I think of Shiv, I think that Kendall's the only one who's like, oh, this is never going anywhere. And I think I don't understand why Shiv is still trying to become the CEO. I think she has enough money. She should go start her own thing. The thing I always need to remind myself of is that like, you know, we had a massive pandemic, which basically delayed every year. Succession has been going on for many years. Now it's this long running HBO premium drama. But in the internal time of the show, it's incredibly compressed. Season three just continues straight on where season two left off. We're talking like, a, a few weeks. Do you think most, they're going to deal with right? the pandemic? Do you think that like? No, they're not. No, they're, they're definitely not dealing with the pandemic. They made that choice as a TV person, Daffy. Like the scene in 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 this episode, you know, in the grant in the bar of the hotel where everyone is mingling and jostling with each other, shooting that in the middle of a pandemic. Like, how crazy hard is that scene to? Not only is it so hard. It's a lot easier than you saw. Those were some tight shots. There was only one shot. Those were such tight shots that the one shot they had where you see this kind of biggish convention was probably shot, and I'm this is conjecture, very quickly. And then everything else was a close-up. And you'd have to assume that when you're looking at Logan and Logan is looking at the vice president licking his lips, that that might like depending on how they did it, those people might not have been in the same room at the same time. There are a lot of ways to do this, but you look at the establishing shot and then you look at what they're tight on. And like in my show, we're shooting a like this wild night where Toby goes to a supermodel fight club in the middle of the night, and you have supermodel yes. fight club. Oh it's, my like God. A, it's like that a it's like a finance bro book. night. It's a finance <laughs> bro night gone wild. And what you see is you see just like a line of people and the 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 things they can do to give you the impression of a full room. People people who do this are remarkable. Let's do our favorite lines from episode 6. Taffy, do you have a funny favorite line from this? My favorite line was is this a nice safe space where I don't have to pretend to like Hamilton? I like that little thing. I also like Martin Van Boren. <laughs> I like I like just someone being called, like a presidential candidate being called Martin Van Boren. How about you? I, it's not my. I, I'm going to come back to this, but I have to mention the bit where like Minkin goes, "This monkey don't dance," and Roman says, "This monkey right here, this dancing monkey in Dad's bathroom." <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. Mine was the end times Weimar meets Carthage thing, but I already said that. So I guess a runner up would be the guy, I don't know who, who he was, explaining about the the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the toilet. Your toilet is your stair machine. It's your bench. It's uh, your fridge. It's your lover. It's, it's, it's your brother. It's your priest. Oh, and also, most importantly, it's also your toilet <laughs> i love that who so was much that guy was, i don't know who was that guy was that guy oh my god he's been to like i like that the show has enough respect for its viewer to understand like it's okay that they found, they met someone who's been yeah. to prison it came up yeah. and they were like tell us everything 
Um, no, I think I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna revise mine, and I'm gonna say it's when when Shiv is arguing against Mink, and then she goes, "Dad, he's fucking dangerous," and Roman says, "He's definitely fucking." <gasps> Felix, so you really think there was? They had the sex, like they had there was something some going energy on. in there. Well, they had like this is the closest that Roman comes to having sex. Oh my gosh! Okay, that's breakthrough theory for me. I had no idea. You know, this isn't this isn't like I don't think they like had actual sex sex in the bathroom because that's not the kind of sex that Roman likes. But this is this is the this is Roman's idea of sex. I do like that they were just in the bathroom and like that we were not supposed to ask questions about why the bathroom was the anteroom to this conversation. Although maybe that's part of the, you know, the hotel thing, right? That like in Rava's apartment, there's always like a kid's bedroom, but like even in the presidential suite of a hotel, there's not like a random kid's bedroom you can go into. It was a nice bathroom. Well, there is normally a bedroom of some description, right? Or two. Yeah. Yeah, that's. You could have just gone into Marsha's room since Marsha's not there. I miss Marsha. I hope she comes back for the birthday party. I do miss Marsha. Well, we look forward to your show, Taffy. We will try and contrive some kind of reason to have you on plugging your show. At at the very least, a Germanic um, Moscato (laughs) screw top. (laughs) (laughs) I will send you a congratulatory a congratulatory bottle of German. Please do, and I'll be like, it's agricultural. Daffy, you're a superstar. Thanks for coming on the show, and we'll have you back soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.